This is the Dose of Support podcast. Here, the interdisciplinary team in healthcare matters, and we share stories and self-care every Wednesday. Let's break down barriers between professions. I'm Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner, and I'm your host. Are you ready for a dose of support? Dose of Support, the host and guests are not affiliated or representing an employer or organization. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider, and my guests are not here to provide healthcare advice either, but do seek out care from your own healthcare professional, and remember to protect privacy and follow HIPAA. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the huddle, you guys. I hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving, and I hope that if you did any shopping over the weekend, that you supported small businesses, Black-owned businesses, and Native-owned businesses. And if you need any suggestions, I'm happy to give you some that are local to the Midwest, and I'm happy to hear your suggestions too. I just love the suggestions that I've gotten so far online, so send them my way. Oh, what is going on with me? I have been working so much. And, you know, I only worked three days last week because of the holiday. And I still felt like I worked a full 40-hour week because things are really busy, especially this time of year, even without the pandemic. So I think what a lot of healthcare professionals are going to be seeing in the next few months is, you know, a ramped up flu season, all the upper respiratory stuff that goes around at school and daycare, and Also, like the GI bugs that go around, especially when you're in a colder climate like I am, um, that stuff really ramps up in the winter. And so then you put the pandemic on top of that. So I feel like I've been pretty busy at my job. And I think what I'm going to have to do is prioritize and schedule in some self-care. And I'm going to attempt to pre-round, which is something at my job I can do. I know a lot of like physical therapists, speech therapists, a lot of other professionals can do that too, where they can look at their patients before their day starts um, or prep a little bit before their work day starts. And for me, that usually makes the the whole workday goes smoother and I finish my documentation quicker. And so I think that's something I'm going to try to embrace, uh, especially this upcoming week, because I think it's going to be a busy one. And being busy isn't bad, right? Like being busy means that people need care and that's what I'm here for and that's what I love to do. And then also take time away from work to exercise. That has been a huge part of my self-care. And if you guys remember, I was like sick all last week. So I'm just like still kind of in recovery mode. So that's where I'm at this week. I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram. I hope you enjoyed this episode and stay tuned. Welcome back to Dose of Support. She holds a master's degree in music therapy and is a board-certified music therapist in practice. Today, she'll share her work as she uses intention to select music that makes a difference for patients. Welcome our music therapist, Julie Guy, to the show. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have a music therapist on. They're so underrepresented in healthcare. And we were talking before uh, recording here about what got you into this field. Can you give me some background there? 
Sure. I was in high school looking at careers. You know, we had a, we were doing a traditional career unit in school. And so we took aptitude tests and things like that. And, you know, I already knew I loved working with people. I loved helping people. And I was very active in band and taking private lessons. So, you know, I was already thinking my ideal job is putting those two things together. So people and music. So I found this little one paragraph description of music therapy. And I remember getting goosebumps. I remember just being in love and thinking, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. You know what? That's that is a calling. You got a calling. I did. It was pretty like, I'm pretty fortunate. I have goosebumps too now. Uh, wow. Okay. So so I just I'm curious, how many instruments do you play? Well, well, or oh, 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 <laughs> wait a second. So my primary instrument's the flute, but every music therapist has to play piano, guitar, and sing and have a certain level of what we call proficiency you know, some basic skills on all those things. And then we take instruments of the band, instruments of the orchestra. So I can play a lot of different things, but not very well. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I didn't three. know that. So you, you play very well, like three different, three or four different instruments, like very well. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What's your best? So the flute is probably your best. Yes, but I spent okay. years years playing that. So, and then um, I would say I use guitar most often, my guitar and my voice, on a regular okay. day to day basis. Yeah. Okay. So tell me, I read in your survey results uh, that you are in private practice. What is that like? That is is a journey and an adventure all on its own. So. Oh my. <laughs> right? <laughs> you not only do you have your clinical skills, right? You spend all this time perfecting your clinical skills, but then you also have to develop a business hat and a business set of skills as well. So I love it. I love having a team. I love being able to employ people in my town, it, but it's a huge challenge, you know, managing a team and all the fun things that come along with it, bills and payroll and all those great things, especially during a pandemic. It's been a whole new set of skills and expertise to develop. Yes, ma'am. So did mm -hmm. you did you get training uh, like on the business side of things while you were in school? Like did you have business courses to manage your private practice or how did how did that go? Did self-taught? Mostly self-taught, self but I did choose an internship that was in private practice and part of the internship coursework that you, you know, you do, you learn how to be a music therapist, but we are, we're also doing projects on the side. So one of our projects was to basically simulate opening your own business. So I learned a lot of the basics from that was called You're the Boss. We were doing this course called You're the Boss. And so each week we were doing different exercises to help prepare us to be a boss and a business owner. You went into private practice. So what does a day in the life of a music therapist in your practice look like? Every day is different, which if you love to have things change, it's a really great situation to be in. Um, but no, in all seriousness, um, you know, we, we are fortunate in that we have two clinic spaces. So one day we might be in the clinic all day in one office, and the next day we might be at the other office location all day. And then maybe the other days of the week, we spend about half of our time out in the community at different community partners or different locations that we have contracts at, whether that's day programs for adults with disabilities, or whether it's seeing a school child who has music therapy on his individualized education plan, 
or whether that's seeing a senior in a dementia care unit. So we see patients in a variety of settings outside of our office as well. So I would say on a day-to-day basis, it's probably 75, well, maybe 50 to 75% of our time is spent with clients. And the rest of the time is report writing, planning our sessions, preparing for things, meetings, and all those other great things. So it sounds like you treat the full lifespan at your practice, children through very elderly adults. Um, Do you physically go into school settings? We sometimes do. That's not our full primary um, positions right now, but yes, we do. Sometimes we're contracted. (laughs) All right. Interesting. Okay. Very good. And are your services covered by insurance or Medicaid? Oh, that's a tough question. Sometimes is the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, yep. That's what I've heard before as well from other providers. Mm -hmm. Medicaid, not very often to my knowledge, but sometimes private insurance will cover music therapy. But it's a challenge for music therapists to be covered because we treat in other areas. So we can do treatment of speech, speech using music therapy techniques, or we can do treatment of daily living skills, you know, and so we, but we don't have our own CPT codes for billing like a speech therapist would. So it becomes very difficult for families to get approval for funding, especially if they're already receiving services and insure, excuse me, receiving insurance reimbursement for other services. If they're billing those CPT codes, then we may not be able to also bill. Okay. Okay. So with with your licensure, is each state allowed to dictate how they would utilize music therapists, basically? Currently, no. Right now, it, we have a national board certification, so we're governed nationally. Okay. And with the states who do have who do have licensure, they ha- end up having some type of another state licensing agency that takes over. I mean, they don't take over. We still have to have our board certification, but they also have licensure on top of it. So I'm not quite sure how all of that process works since our state isn't there yet. But Okay. Okay. Interesting. So it sounds like there's a lot of growth that the profession is still moving towards, but maybe we can all utilize music therapy a little bit more. Me as a provider, how would I get music therapy ordered? How can I consult you? That's a great question. And I say I would say it depends upon what type of setting that you work in. And if, you know, let's say you work in a hospital setting, does your hospital contract with music therapists or have a music therapist on staff? And if so, then that's awesome. You just need to get a referral to the music therapist, which is, that's the best case scenario. Um, if wherever you work does not have a music therapist, then starting to build bridges with the music therapist and finding funding for them is the first step. Okay, so there are barriers there, but I actually have worked with hospice companies before that actually like have on staff music therapists. So, and I think I've said that in mm-hmm. episode 10, but I that is the only way that I know how to reach a music therapist. So, I'm thinking if someone is listening to this, maybe there's a speech therapist listening to this and they're thinking, "Well, how do I get a hold of somebody?" So, Really, your organization is either contracted or has hired music therapists already, and those are the people that you should connect with, or you're going to need to be a leader and promote the use of music therapists in your setting, basically, Mm -hmm. right? Exactly, right. And maybe connect with a local music therapist, have them come do an in-service, or start to get to know them and network and 
Okay, that's a great idea. All right. So as a music therapist, as a master's prepared music therapist, do you feel like you are represented in TV shows, in the media? Are people that do jobs like yours on the news ever? Like, do you see yourself represented? Yes. And it's so much better than it used to be. So when I started the profession about, I don't even want to say, but you know, early 2000, and I would ask an audience of, I was, would be presenting, I would ask an audience who had heard of music therapy. I'd be lucky if one person raised their hand. And now the majority of an audience I go and speak with has heard of music therapy. And that has, I think a lot has to do with the news and and what's happening in local communities and how they're featuring music therapy. Is it enough? No, (laughs) it'll never be enough. Uh, But I would say um, Gabby Giffords, the senator who was shot. Yeah. Right. So she is a huge success story for music therapy and been a huge mouthpiece for music therapy to be heard. I never knew that. Tell me Mm -hmm. more. What's that story? So she was, you know, shot in the brain and had a a brain injury and Mm -hmm. her recovery, I don't know a lot about her recovery, but there was a huge newspaper article push that went out about it and the videos and things and her recovery was with a music therapist and the first spoke words that she used um, after her accident or the shooting was to be able to sing. So I remember she sang happy birthday to her husband and he had not yet heard her speaking. Wow. so, So amazing. And she yeah. talks, she's talked a lot about her growth and recovery through the use of music. And they use a specific neurologic music technique where they're pairing, pairing speech with melody and music and they're singing phrases and they're practicing singing those. And then they go through a very specific protocol where they, they fade the music and then she's, the people are able to speak. Uh, once they faded the music. It's really a phenomenal technique. Wow. Okay. So you have seen some positive progress in people getting your message out there about what you do. And and that's why we're here at Dose of Support, right? Yes. That makes me so happy. Okay. Excellent. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about a story from Julie's practice that she will share, and then some self-care methods. So stay tuned. And welcome back. Thanks for taking a break with us. We're here with Julie Guy, our Masters of Music Therapy, and she's going to tell us a story from her practice. Take it away, Julie. Thanks. So I have so many stories that picking just one was really hard. But you know, if I think about one of the top stories in my life that I still I still tell to this day, it's this one. I was working in a day program, a respite program for adults with dementia. And you know, this is a program where families can drop off their loved ones and they can have a few hours during the day to themselves to do all those essential things like grocery shopping and all the things that they need to do for them, their families. So this gentleman, one day we were doing a music therapy group and using, um, you know, we had a big group of people all circled around a digital piano. We were singing, we were using the flute, we were using the guitar, we were making a lot of music. And 
uh, there was this one gentleman who I'd never seen at this group before, and he was very engaged. He was very Gregorious, singing along with the songs. He was dancing. He was getting other, other residents involved in the music and dancing with them. And it wasn't until after the session that the staff came up to us and said, you have no idea how amazing this is. Prior to you coming to do music therapy, this man was confused. He would not engage in anything. He wouldn't sit down. He was disoriented. He wasn't talking to anyone. And they were really struggling with him, you know, throughout the whole day. He'd been there since like nine o'clock that morning. And this is, you know, about two o'clock in the afternoon. And um, so it was so amazing to hear the story that he instantaneously with the music completely changed. And they told us after that day forward, they always had um, they always had a Walkman for him with (laughs) an old Walkman, right? With tapes or a CD player, like every day he had his own headphones and he listened to music every single day throughout the entire day, every time he came to their program, because music was so important for him and it caused such a reaction to happen for him to feel more comfortable and calm and to connect with the world around him and the environment. So I have questions because it yes. sounds like you guys, you did not know this patient going in, right? Like you didn't have a relationship with him. You were just doing a big group activity? Correct. That's right. We didn't, I'd never met him, didn't know his name, didn't know, and I, I did not know the background story, did not know, again, those challenges that they were having with him throughout the day, that he wasn't engaging with anyone and that they were really having a hard time getting him calm. So it was just so unique to hear the story after the fact and being just being blown away. Like the, what we, what we saw in him was not what they experienced at all. (laughs) Well, and to get that, like, I feel like often with dementia patients, they have, they have comfort levels with certain people that care, like take care of them. They still recognize certain people in their life. And, um, and so that's why I asked, had you ever worked with him before? Because I was like, there's, there's obviously some kind of comfort, but music was his language. You know, it's so interesting to see that often with dementia patients that you're just able to, or any, anybody in general, using music, we're able to break down barriers and walls really quickly because we're connecting with people on an emotional level and we're sharing, sharing emotional experiences. It could be an upbeat, peppy, happy song, or it could be a song that makes someone has, someone has some sad memories and they might cry a little bit. You know, so music is so unique in that way that we, we have the opportunity to make an emotional impact and really quickly. Do you ever come into contact with patients and it's a really tough situation? Mm-hmm. Yes. One of the things that we do is we work with, with individuals with autism and other special needs. And so many times we work with, with kids who don't understand, who can't communicate. They don't have the expressive words and ability to communicate their needs and their wants and their desires. And on top of it, they have huge challenges with their body and being able to regulate the information coming into their system, whether it's lights or touch or sound. And so many times we see kids and teens with severe uh, behavior challenges and and we really work um, 
hard to help them regulate their body and their sensory system through music so that they can learn and um, and do other things. So those those are some of our more challenging situations. You run your own business. We're in an effing pandemic. <laughs> you you have challenging days. Um, you have good days too. So how do you take care of yourself? It has been uh, maybe like for many people, it's been a journey to learn what my what I need what I need for myself. And it's always changing, right? Our lives aren't static. So life is always changing. But I think for me, I've learned foundationally that I have to have, you know, a minimum of seven hours of sleep a night. And I can have seven hours every night, every day of the week for probably five years and be fine. But if I dip below that, I'm screwed. (laughs) Um, And then another thing for me that's super foundational is having healthy eating habits you know, making my lunch, taking it with me every day. And some days if I'm going to be on the road all day, sometimes I pack breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I've got a really huge lunchbox and that's, you know, what I need to do sometimes. But um, but keeping myself regulated because if I'm not at my 100%, I can't give 100% to my clients or to my team. So I have to, I have, to have a lot of energy and feel good throughout the entire day. Uh, and then, of course, for me, regular extra exercise program has been really important. And, um, and then music, of course, being a music therapist, music is a part of my life, too. Um, and using music for myself, as well on a daily basis, whether that's to help go to sleep at night, or to help bat- combat road rage during the day when I'm driving to and from places, <laughs> or just to take a mental break and sing along with some tunes, you know. All right, I have lots of questions. So <laughs> let's go back to sleep hygiene. What do you do to, I mean, like I have a baby at home, ain't nobody sleeping over here. And like we are sleeping in shifts. It's a good thing my husband and I both used to work night shift in the hospital because man, nobody's sleeping over here. So what are some techniques that you use to ensure that you get good sleep? Oh, you know, it changes throughout my, you know, different ages too. I noticed for myself, the older I get, my sleep things have had to change a little bit. I can't have caffeine, no chocolate, no tea late at night, actually probably after about three o'clock in the afternoon. Girl, are you even living? (laughs) Oh, I don't want to stay awake all night. So I just eat it now at lunch, right? (laughs) True, true. So, you know, that's one piece of it. Um, um, Also, trying to limit like if I'm going to watch a movie or something like that I just know like it can't be like a heavy war movie or something like that right before I go to bed or I saw this documentary by the Go-Go's uh recently that came out and their music is like so upbeat and and like you know pop I was going went to bed and I was I could not go to sleep I felt like I was completely wired because I listened to the wrong kind of music before bed interesting yeah so I can't personally I can't listen to really upbeat like punk music or you know super fast rock music without having a little bit of a break and something that can bring my system down a little bit and help me relax before bed or it's just like having a shot of caffeine yeah you know in fact like one of the groups that we lead is with teens and young adults with special needs and it's a program that's from seven to eight o'clock at night and we do a drum circle and I often go into that super tired 
And after drumming, by the time I leave, I'm, I felt like I had a shot of double espresso. Oh, <laughs> caffeinated, wow. Right. I'm like really up. My energy is high. It's fast paced. Like I feel super good. But trying to come home after that and then go to sleep can be really challenging. So I just for me personally, I need a little transition time, some quiet music, turn down the stimulation in the house. So lower the lights, you know, all those kinds of things. And so do you have like a bedtime that you're sticking to? You know, pandemic has definitely thrown things through a loop. Um, so I would say I I think so. I do typically have a bedtime and it can be within an hour's time frame. So it could be, you know, 930 to 1030, which is pretty early, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, do you get up early? Yes, usually. Well, see, there you go. Like the rest of us are staying up all night with a baby. And then you'll not, get some sleep too. I oh tell me it's <laughs> tell me it's coming. Oh good lord. I mean so it sounds like you really set set a goal for yourself every night to like start winding down, have kind of this bedtime and do techniques throughout the day that will set yourself up for success really. Are you do you follow like a food schedule or do you just know how much you're going to need all day to keep you going or like how do you prep for that because that is a great self-care method to you're never going to be hangry if you're prepared right and i had just too many times coming home from work and being ravenously hungry because i my clients went long or whatever and i get home and i would have to just shove anything in my mouth i could find and it would always be the worst things like chocolate and i would binge on it and then i would feel awful um, so it's for me, it's been a process. I have done some um, like clean eating groups, like I've done one called the 30 Clean. And so from that, got some food planning tips. And so now I pretend to prepare my food. I go shopping one day on the weekend, and then the next day on the weekend, I prep. I'll cut up the vegetables and I'll prep a couple of meals. Um, I, I'm not as serious about that as I used to be because pandemic has definitely changed a few things in life. And I'm able to have work, a, you know, a normal schedule these days of just nine hours instead of maybe 12 or 14. Yeah. So that's been a blessing too. But yeah, I think like just planning your meals ahead of time and just writing them down like, hey, I'm, and I, the days can change. I don't have to have this Monday, this Tuesday, Wednesday, I can alternate and change. But having a plan, having all the supplies that you need and having stuff prepped ahead of time so that you're not in a situation where you come home from work and you're hangry and you have to stop at In-N-Out Burger or whatever it is that you guys have in your area, <laughs> McDonald's or whatever. Right, mm -hmm. right. So you're making better choices because you're prepared. I think a lot of people struggle with like what to make, mm -hmm. like what to make, when to make it, how much you got to do on one day. And it just becomes like work. At least it is for me. I'm speaking for <laughs> myself here. Um, so following some kind of meal plan and having a preparation um, plan, I think, it can really help people to feel organized. Um, okay. So that was number two. And then you said exercise is a big part of what you do to take care of yourself. And so what do you do? Tell me everything. <laughs> well, I have my boyfriend really to thank for this because he is a very dedicated person that works out Six, probably six days a week. And so if I don't work out, I feel I start to feel a little bit guilty. So it's it's been nice having that positive, but it's been good having a workout partner, right? Like someone who can, you know, encourage you on a day you don't feel like it and just help you stay on the straight and narrow. Um, so you have like a 
an accountability partner. Yes. Yeah. yeah accountability okay. partner. So it's so helpful. So, and, you know, um, it doesn't have to be a boyfriend. Like it could be somebody at work or a friend. And that's, that's been super helpful in my life. And I've tried different, different types of workouts. Um, but I found that for myself personally, I really like going to a class that has a social element to it. If I know the people there and they're going to ask me how I'm doing. And if I don't come, they're going to say they missed me and they're going to ask what's going on with me. Yeah, more so accountability. Really, right. More account, built in accountability. And I just yeah. also having that, you know, personal connection with people that's with adults that can talk, talk to me and have a conversation. Cause I may not always have that opportunity um, at work if I'm working with kids all day or something. Right. 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 So is so, there anything that you do in your life that's like luxurious for yourself? Uh, does drinking wine and champagne count? Absolutely. <laughs> I, am a, I am a Cabernet girl myself. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Julie Guy, for being on Dose of Support today. If people want to reach out to you and ask about your work, you're based in California. Where can they find you? Probably our website or social media is the best way to find us. It's www.themusictherapycenter.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being here. And listeners, you know what to do. Find me at Dose of Support on Instagram, in our private Facebook group. Support us on Patreon. Go to our website, www.doseofsupport.com, and submit your story via a survey link that is on there. And of course, you can always reach out to me by email at hello at doseofsupport.com. Until next week, take care of yourselves and give each other a dose of support. Every role in healthcare is important and these experiences matter. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections, you guys. Give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, and edited by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show, write a review, and leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again.